Have you ever been in a storm? I thought they were sea cucumbers. Siri sucks. She's a bitch. She's a stupid-ass hoe, and she doesn't know any of your questions, answers. <laughs> what is that? The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. So, the weather is changing and it hurts to swallow. I don't know if that's related, but Kim is having the exact same symptoms. So, what? Probably COVID. Probably COVID. You guys are probably I think it's sick m- as hell. I personally <laughs> believe it's uh, mold. I think there's a lot of mold around the house, out in the yard, in the house, definitely in the house, definitely in the yard. I can smell it. So, and when it, when the weather cools down, especially like in this part of the country, I'm sure other parts too, but this is when, That's when I don't know if you'd say it's where the you. most mold growth is, but it's when the spores start coming out. Like when the weather cools, that's like when they start like sporulating. And so you like... I think it's got to be something like that. Oh, it's over. It's over. I might try wearing a a mask. Yeah, not a COVID mask. I didn't mean to say that. But like I bought a respirator for cleaning the chicken coop. And maybe I'll try that and see if it alleviates the symptoms. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, what's wrong with you? You've been having um, insomnia. Are you sleeping? Oh, I don't sleep anymore. It's a whole thing. I don't know. I have no idea what's happening. I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's... I don't know. I just never feel rested, but like I also wake up at four or three or four in the morning Mm. and I just, I'm up. Like, I don't know what the problem is, but I'm not rested. Like I feel like total shit, like a train hit me, but it could be, it's always difficult for me to tell like what's happening with sleep. Cause as soon as I wake up automatically, I become like, if I'm not already suffocating, like not being able to breathe with my sinuses, like right when I wake up, it like triggers them to like stop me from breathing. And uh, so I don't know, like, if I'm if that's God. waking me up or if I just am waking up at four o'clock and then I have to get up because apparently I'm disturbing Kim's sleep by doing it. She's like, I don't sleep either because you won't quit waking up. But it's true. I heard an interesting argument recently and I was almost convinced by it. And it was this. So it was like a comment on Instagram. Someone just had posted a video of like how sinuses work or something. And I had no idea the world was full of people that. I mean, these could be our listeners. You know oh what I'm my saying? god! Like, Dear. they were like, hope "Fuck sinuses." Oh, no. That's <laughs> but this the niche. one, this one person said, "I know it's a great niche. I think they're, <laughs> I think they're a, a passionate group." But there was this uh, one comment that said, "It just said something like, my mother always told me that sinuses are proof that God doesn't exist.'" <laughs> oh my god! Oh, yeah. I mean, if you have problems, I'm sure it's bad. Yeah. It's fine. I could just feel it setting in, whatever it is, the toxins. It's probably whatever caused that grapefruit-sized hail that was falling in Texas at 100-degree weather. Oh, yeah. That's a good segue. So, last night was Thank crazy. You. It was crazy. So wild. I don't know what happened. I don't know if you've ever been in a storm, but... Have you ever been in a storm? <laughs> What is that? But uh, no, I was just, 
It was so scary. I'd never been in a storm where it was so scary. Um, I literally, for the first time, thought, oh, my God, <laughs> this is kind of scary. We don't have a safe room in this house. Like, I was like, this is like twister weather. Oh, like, basement. I'm worried that a tornado is going to come through here and rip the house off the ground. And, uh, yeah, it was very wild. So we are out in Austin, Texas. It's It was 87 degrees last night because it's hot as hell out here. And... Um, and the thunderstorm was so strong. There was so much lightning, just constant lightning and hail. There was hail the size of golf balls in 87-degree weather just pelting the house. So you can imagine, like, I thought— Which is not an exaggeration. I, you sent me a picture of it in your hand. And honestly, when, I, when you sent that picture, there's two pictures. And the first one, I was like, what is he holding? I thought they were sea cucumbers or, like, jellyfish. <laughs> oh, my God. I was, it looked like that. And then you had that big one in your hand. I was like, oh, that's totally a sea cucumber. It's like as big as your palm. And then <laughs> I scrolled down and I was like, wait, hail? Like what? Texas, hail. This time? Exactly. Texas, hail. What the hail? No. It's, what the hail? It didn't make any sense. You know, just imagine like golf balls hitting your house, hundreds of them. Um, and it I mean, was, it was really windy scary. and stormy and dark and rainy and stuff or what? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, wow. Yeah, it was just wild. I thought the worst thing, because I thought the hail was going to break a window, but I also thought, because we live, like, under some trees, I thought the trees were going to fall on the house, and I thought we were going to be crushed. And I was like, oh, my God, that's the worst way to die, to be crushed under a tree uh, oh, in yeah. your house. But that did not happen. But that's how stuff is here in Texas, because they have all these, you know, because it's so hot and so sunny, they have all these big pecan trees and whatnot and live oak trees that uh, they build the houses under because they want, you know, the shade and whatnot. And so it poses this risk when there's storms and ice because all the branches are always falling on people's houses. But anyway, anyway, so I had that whole experience. And the first thing I thought, like, so it was kind of scary. And then I looked outside after I heard the hail, you know, after I was like, okay, it's probably safe to go look. It was just the ground was littered with hail. You know, it's just like a surreal looking scene because you're in Texas, it's 87 degrees outside and the ground is now littered with ice balls. And you're like, what the hell? And I just thought, this looks unnatural. Like, what is going on? And I just... Do we think this is a natural phenomenon? Literally, that's what I couldn't stop thinking because you were like, let's talk about this episode where RFK talks about climate engineering with this guy. And I was like, this is the climate engineering. This is it right here. Like, this is so unnatural. Well, so. I had never heard of that guy that he interviewed. Me neither. But he sounded pretty certain of what he was saying. He Well, that's how it sounded. Who knows, you know, who knows with this kind of stuff. But uh, Dane Wigington, Wigington, that's a good name. If you're a conspiracy theorist or a non-normative researcher, (laughs) Wigington, Professor Wigington, researcher Wigington, is going to wig out here. By the way, live oak is a type of oak tree. Yeah, they're oak trees. That doesn't lose its leaves. Yeah. I didn't know. I I thought... I thought I, I literally Googled. I'm like, why do people always, why do people say live oak? Like, what is that? And it was like, oh, was you thought I was saying that it was like, these are live trees. Like, they're, they're alive. Did you, not, 
barren dead wood, but this live tree, this, yeah, live oak, it doesn't lose its leaves in winter. It kind of replaces them gradually throughout, and they always look alive. So anyway, yeah, Wigington, that's... Hmm. Yeah, Dane Wigington. But anyway, so should we just get into it? I don't know if you are going to play anything, but I just, there's a podcast you could listen to it with RFK on RFK's podcast with Dane Wigington, Our Chemtrails Real. Um, Dane Wigington, you know, to spoil it, spoiler alert, whoop, um, he thinks they are. And it's interesting because his story is, you know, back in the day, who knows what he means by that because he's an old guy. Um, but he says this back stuff. In my time. Yeah, this stuff's been going on since 1930s, 1940s. And he's like, back in my day, I used to warn people about global warming. And he's like, and now I warn people about climate engineering. He's like, that's much more devastating for the environment and for people and the world. And uh, he's like, and so his whole premise, which is so interesting, if you buy into all this stuff, which we could talk about it, but he thinks that. Global warming is happening, and actually, climate engineering has been being used has been being used has been used um, to mitigate the effects of the warming or to mitigate the symptoms of the warming. So, for example, he was saying that the globe would have warmed more, but they've been spraying the skies with sort of this material that reflects the sun's rays and keeps out the heat, and so that's prevented some of the warming. Um, and so naturally, without any intervention, you know, we would have seen more of the effects of global warming or whatnot. So anyway, so he has a really interesting theory, but what I couldn't parse from this, and I don't know what your thoughts on all this are, but the thing that I found most interesting is just it's so confusing now all these narratives about climate change. Like, what the hell is going on? Because this has emerged as, like, a central theme in the presidential debate, presidential, you know, election stuff. And, you know, you've got the Republicans, uh, and you've got RFK saying climate change is a hoax. The climate change narrative is a hoax. And he's like, it's not Wait, real. RFK says that? V oh, sorry, sorry. Vivek Ramaswamy. Did I say RFK? I maybe I, might have I, said RFK. I thought you meant Vivek, but I heard RFK, so I was like, "Wait, what did we just yeah. say?" Yeah. So Vivek Ramaswamy says, "RFK." Er, <laughs> Vivek Ramaswamy says, "RFK is a hoax," <laughs> <laughs> and climate change should be the next president. So yeah. <laughs> oh my god, got my words all twisted. Um, so he says the climate change narrative is a hoax, which we talked about on another pod where all these researchers, these two you know, predominant researchers, Princeton, MIT, came out and said, you know, it's not real, essentially. Like, these models didn't incorporate clouds, blah, blah, blah. These people are like doom, what would you say, like doom, doomsdayers or whatever. And uh, so you have that. And then on the other side, RFK has said publicly, well, climate change is a problem and whatnot. And he hasn't talked a lot about that, but he hasn't said it's a hoax. He certainly doesn't seem to think that. And so now you've got, and then back to he the Republican side. He wrote a whole side. book on how on climate change, so I think he buys into it. I'm considering buying his books because, like, if I'm going to take his Fauci book so seriously, then maybe I ought to read his climate change book and just see exactly. what he can convince me of. Yeah. So then so. you've got the other Republicans, though, too. Who So besides Vivek, they all seem to kind of think that climate change is real and we should do something about it. Vivek seems to have departed from the mainstream by saying the climate change narrative is a hoax. 
Um, not sure what Donald Trump thinks. I think he probably, I think he thinks it's a hoax too. Um, I think he said that. So, but anyway, so you have that narrative. The climate change, you know, is happening. It's real. It's the most dire thing that's happened to the planet. We all need to take extreme action immediately. And then you've got this new counter narrative I'd never been exposed to, which is like climate change is a hoax and it's really dire. But it's not dire because the natural phenomenon is really dire. It's dire because we've been intervening in man-made ways that that's what's really dire about it. So it's a new yeah, narrative. Yeah, was that – I was wondering – well, can I get a cup of water? My throat. Oh my I only God. have really strong coffee and it's making it not <laughs> – Yeah, go help. It's yeah. not helping. It's just burning me. <laughs> yeah, so the thing about that guy, I was going to say – I was going to ask – or I was going to query just generally. I I thought that guy's, what would you call it? Like his whole take, I guess. Analysis, his whole his spiel. Kind of narrative. It was so, it was not exactly like anything I had ever really heard before. And I couldn't really figure out what he was saying. And I think partially it was because I had not heard it before. So I was like, having to formulate some kind of new concept is not is it doesn't didn't fit in quite like a puzzle piece and it seemed like yeah he was saying climate change is real and it's a big problem but never mind that climate engineering is realer and a bigger problem or something like was that his yeah i think that's takeaway? the take and i this is what i thought he was saying was like okay so if climate, you know, climate just changes naturally, like global temperatures, I mean, the average global temperature has fluctuated throughout history. That that Yeah, is, I hate the term climate change because that's right. so, it's like, it doesn't even indicate anything. It's, it's like, so oh, dumb. okay, today's Monday, tomorrow's <laughs> Tuesday. Right. It's like, oh my God, panic. We have to have policy. Right. So I think his take was like, it would have been okay if we had just let the earth do its natural thing because the earth has normal regulatory systems in place. And so when it gets too hot, for example, more clouds form to, you know, and that helps cool the earth. So there's these compensatory systems and the earth has been through a lot of change. We know it can sustain a certain amount of change. And he was saying the real problem is that we have mitigated some of that change and because of that, he's like, we've made the situation more dire in two ways, it seems like, is what he was saying. was One, all of the things that they've done are actually toxic, which is like spraying. He thinks they've been spraying aluminum in the skies. He's like, aluminum concentrations. And this is something that him and RFK agree about, which is that aluminum and concentrations are going up everywhere in all the soil. And he's like, you have to explain what's going on and he's like an aluminum is toxic to animals including humans and so and it's not a free element right. in nature he was like it wasn't there before world war one or whatever yeah so i think that it's i'm absolutely right in that they're spraying fucking glitter into the sky and think about this this is crazy okay hang on <laughs> i'm waking up now okay so well that was metaphorical and <laughs> literal so this guy has this guy has a new take. Okay. Well, hold on. Wait. So before you go into that, the second thing, just to finish that thought. So the first thing I think is all the toxic stuff that they've been doing to manipulate the weather is what he thinks is bad. And then also he thinks because we've been mitigating it, he's like, we've been pushing 
Earth into this sort of like state where you get these catastrophic, you're on the brink of like catastrophic change because certain regulatory systems have been held back that should be in place or whatever. And so if we were to like stop intervening in the climate, like all of a sudden we might see like a catastrophe of climate events or whatever because of changes that have sort of been held back as like the idea, something like along that lines. Well, okay. One of the best movies ever, period, uh, was, I, I mean, especially like independent kind of films, was the movie Snowpiercer. Oh, yeah. And it actually, you've people have probably heard of this. Like, it was such an, this is like, they don't make movies like this anymore, and they did make this, and it was just like, wow, this is like old school. Like, they used to make cool movies like that were just totally new and just unique. You know, now it's just like all remakes of old stuff, you know, like they just don't make boring, like just inventive stories. Like, Oh, here's a crazy story. Like the (laughs) whole world is trapped on a train and just craziness, you know? But if you listen in the very beginning in the intro to that, because it doesn't talk about it at all as part of the narrative of the story, unless you listen to like the intro of Snowpiercer. And in the very beginning of Snow Snowpiercer, you hear you hear like just like as they're showing imagery and stuff before they even get to like anything, you know, it's just kind of like the opening credits almost. You hear like a radio broadcast or something in in the background, and you can hear them saying what why the world is like this. Because the whole the premise is, is that the yeah, entire the covered in ice, right? The whole the whole population of the world is on a train that circumnavigates the planet over and over and over again. And it's because the world is uninhabitable because it's frozen over. Right. And if you listen to the beginning, you hear this radio broadcast or something just kind of faintly in the background saying, turn on subtitles and you'll see it. But they're basically saying that we destroyed the world and turned it into an, a global ice age by global weather modification of spraying stuff into the atmosphere that's what they that's yeah you can hear it in the beginning that they that's how they say the world became frozen it's just it's just this faint radio broadcast in the background a little easter egg and our efforts to mitigate in our yeah and our efforts to mitigate uh global warming we've done these procedures and spraying atmospheric atmospheric aerosols or something like that and it's caused this we kind of overcorrected basically and then it created this huge catastrophe. So that's a great movie. And for a lot of reasons, yeah. But anyway, so it's like a closed they, contained system, which is why they're on the train because it's safe to live there. But it's a whole caste system where like the people in the back of the train are poor and the people in the front are rich and the people in the back are trying to get to the front. And that's the whole narrative. It's like the. It's a whole class struggle, right. but the most interesting thing about the class struggle, if you really want to get into it, we could do a whole oh analysis of this one day. <laughs> The whole in, the most interesting thing is like so. There's like a main guy at the front, you know, like he's the the main the train like the president or of whatever, the train or something. Yeah. But then, and then there's this the the kind of the poorest of the poor in the very back, and there's kind of like a a leader sort of at the back, but he's like the like the revolution kind of leader. Like he's just this old man. He's almost crippled, and. He's just kind of like is the guy that everybody looks to was like the kind of a wise man. But he's in and there's all the cars in between the front and the back. So the very back, they eat like 
bugs. Literally, it, it's yeah, like it's exactly like what bugs. we see the world coming to. Like they yeah. literally eat bugs. They eat the trash of the world, essentially of the train. And you know, because it's like yeah, the waste I don't of the it. front. Watch the movie. Of, yeah, it's wild. Yeah, and then so and then there's all the ones in between as you kind of make your way through the train. There's like in the middle of the train, there's like all these parties and raves, like total distraction, total like middle class leisure, and uh, no need to no need to work your way to the front because you're getting your scraps. Your scraps are better than the ones in the back. No need to go to the back because that's disgusting. Total they blue just live pill. their believe whatever you oblivious want. life in the middle. Believe exactly. Believe whatever you want to believe. So, but the craziest thing about this movie other than the climate change narrative which is totally ancillary and they don't talk about but they just give you that little hint in the beginning is that the this old man in the back at the end it turns out that the old man in the back and the old man and the old man the rich old man in the front are com- utter like in constant contact constant communication with each other and are kind of Spoiler. <laughs> but Masterminding <yeah. laughs> some kind of... I am totally fucking spoiling That's okay. This. We could just talk about it. We've already spoiled it. <laughs> we spoiled it. So they're totally masterminding this whole class system. And that... And it... And, it, and they're... It, it's so... It's such an archetypal story because then... So there's the old... It's literally the archetypal story. So there's the old wise man in the back of the train... Kind of the old wise man in the front of the train, the leader, the guy that has to be, you know, taken over, killed, surmounted, whatever, and the dragon, let's say. And in the back of, and in the back of the train, there also exists a hero archetype who's going to fight his way to the front of the train somehow with all his helpers, you know, his jokers. There's also the, the drugged out Chinese guy that's, or the, actually he's a, he's not, he's Inuit, the drugged out Inuit guy that's in the pod. Mm-hmm. That they wake up, he's addicted to some kind of like crack or whatever, or something, <clears throat> some weird shit. Yeah, some toxic stuff they do. And uh, he meets him along the journey, you know, and he helps him out. He's kind of like the crazy guy, you know, the kind of foil. Like, is this guy helping or hurting? I don't know. Is like a joke, jokester, or a trickster? What is this guy? He's like on drugs. And the whole arc of the story is that this kind of guy that's going to fight his way to the front who's kind of encouraged by the old man in the back and helped by the drug-addled man in the middle is it's always been the plan that one day somebody from the back would make it to the front and by the time he makes it to the front the the master at the front will tell him this was always your destiny you now you have to basically do this you know and he has to make that decision you know, are you going to take my place or are you going to fuck it all up? And right. essentially, that's yeah. not how it ends. And there's like a reality that he faces or something. There's like constraints. Can, and, and then the, like you uh, don't and, know the full right. Picture. And then there's the right because there's also the the idea of it's like the very much the Matrix or the Truman Show because there's also the idea of escaping the train altogether. And that's what I think is so great about this is that at the end. It's interesting who they ch- – this is such a good movie for the all these reasons. At the end, one of the real kind of hidden heroes, like this, this diamond in the rough, you know, this guy, that this drug addict guy who has a daughter who's also a drug addict. And they're Inuit and they seem to be the only ones. And the thing about the Inuit is that they know all about snow. 
So everyone knows that the Inuit people have like a hundred words for snow that all mean something different. Whereas we're like, we know like the best among us is like a, a snow ski guy. They're like, oh, there's good powder and there's slush. But that's about the extent of our <laughs> understanding of snow. This guy can just look out the window and he can tell that there's a certain kind of snow and that the snow is changing and that the ice is changing and that this means change is coming. And he kind of, his whole thing is, I could get the fuck out of this goddamn train. That's his whole vibe is like, I got to get the fuck out of here. I don't give a shit about this train. I don't want to live here. I'm cracked out. I'm cracked out because I hate this place. He lives in like a, a drawer, literally like a morgue box drawer, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just a wild character. I'm and eventually, yeah. I don't even really remember, but I think eventually him and his daughter like escape the train. I don't even know if anyone else on the train gets out. I think it might just be him, <laughs> him and her are the only two that escape or him and his girlfriend, whatever she is. So it's an amazing movie, but back to climate change for a moment. I just... My only point on that was to say that they have that climate change narrative in the beginning. <clears throat> That's exactly like what we're talking about. But aside from that, watch that movie. It's amazing. It's, it's so a total wild. lost treasure. Well, talk about, yeah, um, uh, contrived societies and narratives and your story being completely written for you. That's the whole Snowpiercer thing. It's like, actually, you think you're on this like hero's journey, but you don't realize you're stuck in this whole train thing that's completely been invented and yeah the hero's journey was designed for you yeah (laughs) yeah we designed the hero's journey for you all the way to the front you this is all we've been trying to make in fact we've been we've been waiting for you for all these years and you thought you were fighting the system and, and in reality the system has been doing everything in its power to create you this whole time and i think there's something absolutely ridiculously deep about that However, I don't know because I'm reading that pop propaganda book and now I'm like, oh, it's so much. It's so good. It, the book is like mind melting, but we'll get to that later. Uh, the and climate change thing. So here's yeah. the thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, because part of the whole propaganda thing with Elul is that it all has to fit into your myths and it, propaganda only works if it like taps into certain things. So the fact that that taps into something for me and for uh, pe- anyone that watches it is like, wow, this something is great about this oh, means that hmm. it has to, the, everything kind of has to go along with it. Otherwise you won't, it won't work on you. You won't, you won't even go along with it. It has to, it kind of hitches a ride propaganda yeah. does on mm. on some kind of subconscious reality otherwise it's totally benign nothingness it's just it doesn't even you'll never even see it doesn't stick it'll never even touch you yeah yeah this doesn't work so that's interesting but okay so the climate change thing so this guy is like on the JF, uh, rfk thing Dane is like Wigington. hey there's we got yeah wigging wagging we got uh aluminum all over the place and he says you know another thing they seem to possibly be spraying out into the sky on these commercial and military jet planes are uh, some kind of microfilament plastic because we're also finding these microplastics and there's some kind of fiber, some kind of plastic something that they're shooting out. Polymer fiber. And that this helps polymer fibers and that this helps the aluminum stay suspended and and helps slow down the coagulation of these aluminum particles. Right, stay airborne. Yeah. 
because so part of his evidence is that we do have indisputable research that's widely accepted that there's all, aluminum all over the place. It's everywhere it shouldn't be. It's on the Arctic. It's in. It's a totally man-made thing because it doesn't exist in this form anywhere else in nature. It just doesn't. There is just there isn't nano particles of aluminum in nature. There's aluminum isn't free like that usually at all. Anyways. We have to right, process aluminum out of combined with stuff. other metals and minerals, and yeah, it's in like national parks and stuff, and that's very worrying to people. Yeah. So on one hand, we have all these people going, "Oh, we're researching metals and aluminums, and we're finding it." Oh my gosh, here's research. Now on the other hand, this guy who I've been waiting to look into, where's my mouse? His name is Doctor Steve or Stephen S T E V E Allen. A-L-L-E-N, he researches microplastics. And, and since the research looks identical, we're looking at microplastics. They're all over the place where they shouldn't be. It's completely man-made. We don't know where it's coming from. It's in the soil. It's in the sky. It's in the Arctic. It's everywhere. Where is this coming from? And he's looking at life cycles and or movement cycles of plastics, microplastics. And I have exactly what I said back when I brought him up in the first place. I was like, he's missing something. He's so close and he's he's like perplexed. Like he has this – he's like, I have this evidence and I don't really have a perfect theory. Where is this really coming from? Like that's kind of why he's creating this like life cycle of this microplastic. Like where what, – what's happening? Well, how is this – where is it coming from and how is it getting to these places? It's It's so widespread and so confusing. And now we're like eating credit cards of plastic every week and all this different shit and aluminum's in the soil. It's reduced, it's ruining the pH of soils and all this different stuff. And then I brought my theory, which is what they're doing is they're spraying glitter into the sky. And there's a whole episode on it that we did. Just listen. It's fine. It's real. I mean, you could decide it's not real, but I, this is all becoming, I'm just mounting, evidence is mounting. So now we have this other guy and he's, he's, is saying, he's like, there's aluminum everywhere and there's plastic everywhere. They're spraying both of these things. I'm saying it's possible they're spraying glitter, which is aluminum, atomized aluminum that is turned into like an atomized, almost gaseous. It's aluminized plastic. Deposited. Yeah. Yeah. Literally they, they take it and they vaporize it and they deposit it onto micro, micro thin plastic and then cut that microplastic aluminum film into micro particles and that that's glitter yeah. and it's in all sorts of things in like everyday <sighs> consumable products. But if you're finding aluminum plastic everywhere and you have the whole conspiracy about glitter, which is basically the short story is there's this, there's a couple companies out there that make it. It's highly secretive industry for some reason. They will not tell you who their main buyer of aluminum is the one that buys the most aluminum it's a secret they don't want you to know why can't you tell the reporter about it well because they don't want you to know that it is glitter that is a quote from the company itself and then the company and then the reporter said well if i if what could i know about like could i discover it on my own basically like could i go oh i think this must be it if i and saw they said, it what i know it's you know, glitter. basically what yeah. if i saw it would i know it's glitter yes and the and the person chuckles and says Haha, if you saw it, you'd see something, but you wouldn't know it's glitter. And I'm, and all these people are like, oh, it's in your toothpaste. It's on the sand of the beaches. (laughs) I'm like, 
It's clouds. It's that shit that comes out of the back of airplanes that you can see them turn on and turn off that they put in a perfect grid pattern that is definitely absolutely not a condensation trail. And like this guy on RFK says, he goes into a a piece of evidence I had never really heard people harp on before, which is basically like the science of a jet engine. And he's like, that's not jet engines don't make contrails like that. They don't because the way that a jet engine is made, it doesn't you're not going to get water coming out of the back of it. It just doesn't, it doesn't do that. You can get, there's some like rare weather phenomenon that can cause like some kind of like a condensation behind a jet plane, but it's very brief and you can see it. Sometimes you look up and there's a jet plane that's leaving a a white streak behind it, but it immediately disappears. And that's, I don't even know if they think that that's, if his theory is that that's actually from the jet or if it's just like kind of a stream off the plane and you see it and it goes away. But when you look up and you see, a jet train, a jet, a jet, a, a jet, leaving a stream behind it that does. The plane is long gone. The stream is still there. And then if you just watch it for a few hours, which people don't have the time to do this, I think that's a huge reason why this isn't bigger concern people to people. Aren't because just staring up, at I don't. Guy. It's like that yeah, they don't look. Don't you look have up. to look for a cup. Yeah, you have to literally look up for a couple of hours, and I only do that because I'm obsessed with chemtrails. And I, and I garden and I notice patterns of the chemtrails and the weather patterns and like what it will do. And people around me actually buy my theory as far as, you know, predict the weather. They don't necessarily believe that it's glitter, but I can tell if it's going to rain here based on chemtrails. And if you, and I'm always outside. So if you stay out there, you'll, you'll literally see a totally blue sky jets go over, they make a grid pattern. And if you watch them, these grids, what they actually do, they spread out and they create a haze and they don't always create clouds. Even the Wikipedia for contrail says that it makes clouds, but what they do is they actually don't make clouds. It looks like a cloud for about 30 minutes. It'll look like a cirrus cloud, which is what the Wikipedia on contrails says happens. We create clouds. By the way, even if that's the end of the story and that it really is water vapor and they really are creating clouds, we now know based on our last episode that clouds are really important for global climate and have a massive effect. So you are actually changing the weather, whether intentionally or not. But let's take it a step further. That is intentional. Because that will turn into this weird haze where you can actually still see the sun through it. It almost looks like a clear day. Right. So that's what Wiggington was saying. He's like, it's this dimming effect or whatever. And he said he... And they literally... Yeah, they they literally have a name for it now. The dimming effect. Like climate scientists actually have a name for it. Not just Wiggington. Like it's called global dimming. Yeah. And he was saying uh, that's how he came to study all this or be interested in it at all. Because he was trying to live off grid or whatever. And he was like, and then... I noticed that my solar cells, uh, he had some solar powered stuff, and he was like, they weren't capturing as much energy as they used to capture. He was like, they were only capturing like 70, 80% or something. Um, and this is his story. And he's like, and, you know, essentially he figures out that, oh, it's because the, the, the dimming that's been going on in the sky, they're like literally dimming the, like the amount of sun that's coming into the atmosphere and that could be picked up by those solar things. Which, yeah, I mean, if that's true and totally, it seems like it is, but that has such strange implications for all of this green energy movement too, like all this solar stuff that's been built and whatnot. If it's like we're literally dimming the skies, it's weird. Yeah. 
It could be compartmentalized. It could be all part of a grand narrative and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with it all. But I think that it's possible that my, that's kind of my point with the plastic thing is that it's all kind of one thing. Plastics, aluminum, different researchers probably don't even know each other's names. Oh, it's compartmentalized. I'm finding plastics everywhere. Another guy going, I'm finding aluminum everywhere. Those guys don't even know each other's exist. And then there's me, not me, but there's got to be others somewhere in the middle going, no, they're shooting aluminized plastic out of the back of planes. Or like that guy said, they're shooting both out. They're shooting because you can make the plastic doesn't have to have aluminum on it. They could, they make the plastic and they make the aluminum and they make aluminized plastic. You could shoot both out d- at different times. And I think they probably probably do. It's not like they're not idiots. And they've been doing this for since the, the guy's not wrong. I mean, weather modification experimentation g- goes back a long, long way. There's well-known theories of Vietnam. They're creating weather patterns in Vietnam to flood out the Viet Cong. The Chinese during the Olympics said that they were doing weather modification to make sure they had good weather. I notice here where I live, if there's heavy contrails during most times of the year, chemtrails during most times of the year, I predict rain in two days. Almost always is that true. There's rain predicted in a couple days from now, and I can get evidence of it and put it on Instagram. I'll go out. I guarantee you today (laughs) or tomorrow there'll be chemtrails in the sky, and in two days it will rain, and there won't be any a day or a couple days after until it's planned to rain again. Now, interestingly, Monica lives on the West Coast in California, and I don't know if it has to do with the effects of doing this and the natural phenomenon or if they actually can decide what to do with based on what they spray, how they spray it. But she says it's a total it's like the opposite effect that she has out there. She says if they're predicting rain and she sees chemtrails, then two days later when it's supposed to rain, it won't rain. And she thinks they're preventing it to rain, exacerbating droughts, or they're pushing that. They're somehow doing something to push that rain system somewhere else that maybe like to the, the, the valley or inland to the other, you know, inland areas where, where there's other farming or something. She's like, I don't know what they're doing. I just know that if they're predicting rain and they spray chemtrails, the rain doesn't come. Mm. Whereas here, they don't know. The, I always talk about this. The weather prediction is off the chart. I mean, it's garbage. It's complete and total garbage. You literally could just look at the chemtrails and that's all you basically need. I mean, now, temperature-wise, I don't know. But I do know because I have noticed that there are days when they spray and it creates that haze and it doesn't create the clouds. It creates a haze. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those days are will get hotter so you'll have a really hazy day with contrails and it'll be dim, but it'll be, it'll look almost overcast, but the the heat will be bearing down on you in a weird way. And I only noticed this this year. This is like a new thing I've discovered because a couple of days later, the temperature was predicted higher in the clouds. There were, no, there was no haze. It was like a blue sky. And it's noticeable because it's hardly ever there anymore. But it was like a clear blue sky. The sun was bright as shit. It was the middle of summer. And it wasn't as bad. The heat just wasn't – it wasn't light. It wasn't as oppressive of a heat 
as the day of the haziness. So I actually think, and there's this formula that some conspiracy people like to go off of, even some regular folks now are kind of buying it. Like RFK has probably said this. I feel like someone recently said this. Whatever they're telling us, you can almost, if it gets a part of, seems to be part of an agenda, it's almost the opposite of what they say. Now, that would make sense get based on that little anecdote that I just gave, which is like they're claiming global warming, oh my God, we have to do something about it, and that maybe the weather modification is to fix it. I'm wondering if this weather modification is actually intended, the reason they're not talking about it as a solution is because it's actually worsening, it's actually causing the warming. It's creating conditions where people will go, fuck, it is hot. What the fuck? It's mm-hmm. hazy, but it's hot as shit. And now that guy on the Wiggins guy or Wigger or Wigger? No, wait. Wigington. Wigington. Sorry, not not that. That's a thing from the, the 90s. Uyghurs. Um, the Uyghurs. That's what I meant. Yeah. No. So he was saying that there's, there's this research that's finding UVC damage, which is a radiation. So we have UVA, UVB, UVB. If you raise plants or you raise reptiles, you know about these or even fish tanks and that kind of thing. There's like UVA, UVB. That's the big kind of focus. UVC is a radiation that doesn't usually even make it to earth at all. It's like filtered out somehow. But for some reason, we're having UVC damage. So we're actually, we are, perhaps it sounded like he was saying, we actually are effectively limiting UVA and UVB, which plants and people kind of need. And that this highly talk, not, I mean, toxic for lack of a better word, UVC radiation is coming down and it's burning the bark of trees off and burning uh, leaves and plants and things. So I don't know. There's something wild yeah. about this because uh, the big question you were asking, which I'm very curious about, is why is climate change all of a sudden like front and center as far as like new re- – like just, oh, randomly just new research we never heard before. Like, oh, but because because that's the big question. We just talked about this. Multiple different scientists and not dumb, dumb scientists, not like outcasts, like Nobel Prize scientists are like, hey, we just took the model and just said, okay, you're using it to predict the future. Let's just like bump the timeline back, pick a point in time and see if it even predict, could predict the past, which we are. So we already know. We don't have to wonder if it's going to be true. We could already, we just apply the model, see if it works. And they went, oh, I know it doesn't. It couldn't even predict the climate change that has occurred. So it's not working. And then we have these other guys going, we looked at the climate models, did the same thing and said, what could they have possibly missed? And we went, oh my God, they forgot about clouds, which is highly suspicious considering what we're talking about with weather modification. Like, why would you leave clouds out? It's because you know that that's not, that that is actually a manipulated variable in the experiment. Like, what's going on here? I don't know. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. So I don't know why we're all talking about it. Yeah, I just, who knows what the meta narrative is here? I think that's the most, like, I don't know. Is it the global warming is real and this is preventing the effects of it? Is it that this is causing global warming? I it's that's so hard to figure out like what the meta narrative is on that grand scale. I don't know that we even can know. And I feel like there's a lot It of... may not be one yet. I think there's a remember Jackie Lul we talked about talked about pre propaganda, which is basically mm-hmm. synonymous with getting educated on something. And so maybe 
all of this new research, like this renewed discussion of like a more robust discussion. It's not just some fringe idiot like Al Gore out there because Al Gore was just recorded saying, not only have we been right over the past 30 years about our predictions, but it's worse than we could have imagined. If you actually go back and look at their predictions from 30 years ago, that's total bullshit. That's not they were predicting a global ice age. So they've not been right. I don't know why he's saying they've been right. So that's why that shit's never caught on is because it's a bunch of idiots flying private jets around the globe telling you to to use, you know, shitty light bulbs. And you're like, "What? Like why don't you just not fly a private jet every goddamn where?" But what maybe this this kind of more robust argument is doing in the in the common everyday narrative space is just a preliminary pre-propaganda stage to pull in more people to the discussion hey gather around it's like the beginning of a story gather around everybody uh, really oh we're about God. to we're about to talk about something let's all and you're like, that's if I fucking hate that story that those guys are. Idiot. No, 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 no. They forgot clouds. We might tell you we might tell you a secret. We might actually this might be a story you're interested in because we're going to talk about how clouds have been forgotten and how the climate models don't work. Come on, come around, come around the campfire. Oh, come on, Al Gore. Come on, everybody. Everybody now. Everybody gather around. We're going to do something. Oh so it's like this pre-propaganda gathering so we can tell a new story. We don't know what the story is yet. It hasn't been told. It hasn't been. It hasn't been begun. There's lots of potential beginnings. There's the Snowpiercer. There's the Wigger or Wigger, whatever the guy's <laughs> name is. There's the RFK. There's the there's the plastics. There's the aluminum. There's the glitter. There's the this. There's the, I mean, I think they might just be pulling us all in so that we can start talking about it. Because we but we so when we try to find the meta narrative, it's like, well, we don't know. It hasn't started yet. We're just gathering around the campfire to have this discussion for the first time. And in the background, it's always been there because. It's been percolating. We've been waiting. You know, we got to make sure we have a little stream out there, but we got to make it kind of weird. You know, I don't, it's kind of got to be a little bit extreme until we're ready. And then once we, once we are ready, we'll normalize it and go, okay, now let's talk about this logically. And that will actually pull in all the, the other people that mm. you need paying attention. I don't know. It's just a theory. It's based on my reading of Elul and based on how weird it is that all of a sudden, because they've been, they've done this with other stuff. But that's doing what with he the thinks, like the propaganda. That's how it works, or whatever. That's his take, Alul's take. Well, yeah, he, you really need a pre. You have he. You need what he calls pre-propaganda. You have to be educated on a bunch. You have to be, quote unquote, educated on a bunch of different topics. This is just another topic. Like you know, we have. But if you're not educated on it, you can't have an opinion on it. You can't follow the story at all. So you have to bring in different types of different uh, enough variety to the stream of narrative that people can latch on mm. and you can once you get them paying attention then you can start steering it but without the kind of for lack of a better term and a word he doesn't really use that collective consciousness without you need that first to get people basically engaged otherwise as you start to try to move this narrative somewhere if no one's paying attention it actually doesn't work that's the whole thing that's what propaganda is you have to have this you have to have the attention of the people mm. that you're trying to do something with and that's why i think fully charged battery fully charged unplug charger she always interrupts me <laughs> uh but anyways you get the point that that's why 
we need this. You, you know yeah. what I mean? Like otherwise they wouldn't, they wouldn't be doing it if it weren't for re- just like the whole alien thing. It's the exact same thing. It's like every, alien stuff. It's kind of always been there. It's a little, everyone's always, that's eh, tenfold hat. It's conspiracy. And then eventually they go, no, no, no. Now Congress is going to talk about it. No, we'll really tell you this time. Everybody, come on, come on. Let everyone start paying attention. We're going to, we're going to tell you a story about aliens. They actually did it very quickly with COVID. Right. They were right, like, right. you're a conspiracy theorist if you think it's Wuhan or something else other than exactly what we're saying, exactly at this time, exactly on this day. And then all of a sudden, four or five years later, they go, oh, no, 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 no. We are going to talk about that. No, no, we are going to say maybe Wuhan. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe mosquitoes. Everybody, come on, gather around. Maybe, maybe Fauci bad. We, we don't know. Maybe masks bad. It's okay. We'll, we'll say that now. We'll say everything. It's okay. Vaccines, they do have some risk. Come on, come on. Let's all talk about it. And you go, why? Why are you doing this? What you need, you're trying to rope in people so that you can start going some new place with it. Yeah. Otherwise, you would never, they don't address it. I guess there's like two, just a two things going on in two levels of analysis, maybe uh, intercorrelated, but could be independent. But one, I feel like you have the what's literally happening, the mechanics of what's going on. And then I think you have, to the like storytelling part of it. And I think, so the literal stuff, it's like, it's hard to validate. Like you just really have to trust the people that are telling you this information who are going out and doing the measuring, you know, like, cause I don't know, like I've not been around the world. I haven't measured aluminum levels in the soil. I can trust that like, I mean, I've gone to the USDA website and even USDA will tell you there's aluminum in the soil and it's a little bit of a problem. yeah, they'll also be like, and it's all, by the way, it's like a jillion times higher than you should ever be exposed to and probably causing brain damage. So, yeah. So they'll like tell you a lot. So there, yeah, there's the mechanics of that. And, and I think, yeah, there's some stuff that you, like we can, I have seen the trails in the sky, I have seen the haze, who knows how it's happening, who knows why, if it's natural, how it works, you know, what happens because of it. Uh, anyway, but so there's lots of like stuff that I feel like you can latch on to for the just like what's going on. And it's kind of irrelevant. You know, you don't need to know why. Like, why is there aluminum everywhere? Why are there microplastics everywhere? Do we need to get to the bottom of it? It's like, I don't know. It's, a, it's sufficient to me just to say that, well, we know that aluminum is everywhere now and we know that plastic is everywhere now. That's a problem. And then you've got this whole narrative aspect of it, which is I feel like so contentious and it's like, that's, I think, you almost get caught up in the narrative, I think, aspect of it, thinking you're really talking about, like, the literal elements of it. And I'm like, but that's the part that was so interesting to me because I'm like, it's not really, we, you almost get lost with, like, what's actually going on when you're, like, you start, argue, like, I feel like there's this new stuff going on with this climate change narrative. It's like, well, we're, we had this one climate change narrative. Climate change is really bad. We've been pushing that for a while. And now there's like this new climate change is a hoax narrative. And now we've got like this third alternative that I kind of laid out, which is like, well, climate change is a hoax, but it's also dire. Um, and that's because of weather modification, you know? And it's like, I don't, all of this is like just a story in some sense, because it is so grand like it's definitionally like just a, a narrative about what's happening and why and for what purpose. And it really, you could have just the facts and then you could fit them to different narratives. And so that's the part that I find really, I don't know, um, 
troubling to deal with. I'm like, why are these certain narratives? What's the purpose of certain narratives? It seems like there's a vested interest in them. Well, the minutia of it, you go, yeah, you have that reaction a little bit where you're like, okay, like they're spraying it out of planes or they're not. It's naturally coming out of planes. It's coming from coal. That's kind of whatever. And then you go, well, it's there, so it's a problem. And okay, but wait a minute. Why are they telling us to pay attention to it again? Like, why are they giving us all these new stories? Like, and so to me, like the most parsimonious, like meaning the most simplistic explanation for it is actually the propaganda because, and it makes it seem like while Alex Jones is probably some kind of like agent, as Monica calls him a taint agent, there's, and this worries me too, because they can pull the rug out from under you on this kind of thinking but it might be it, like it makes the they're all globalists. It makes that argument make a lot more sense because you're like, well, it's a global problem for a global solution, problem, reaction, solution. So if you get a problem that you can put on a global stage, then you can make the solution global because it's not like, well, we had tried to have a world war, but we couldn't rope in Switzerland. Or we couldn't rope in Angolia. Right. You know, right. we couldn't do this. But if we can say, no, no, no. This is not one guy, one place. This is a problem for everybody. Now, we're going to come up with some solutions. And that makes it seem like what the ultimate goal is, is a global problem for a global solution, which is a global governance, government, whatever. But what I was saying is that that what now back to the propaganda, that's something that could theoretically be the that could be the whole that could be what they want you to think is happening. I don't know why they would do this, but they might be doing that just to pull the rug out from underneath because theoretically they could just stop on a whim. We're not going to, we're not going to spray anymore. Mm-hmm. We're not going to, we're, we want you to think the big fight is about to be globalism. We're going to bring you all the way up to the brink and then we're going to do a, what do they call it? Uh, they fake you out, you know? Oh. And I think the version of that that could be in this narrative is that like, they, they let you be scared that globalism is coming and that the global government is – but all the while in the background, which they do this, they foment turmoil in these in these micro groups. Mm, on the this local level. The idea behind, this is the idea behind social media, behind Google, birds of a feather is what the project was called because they wanted to get grouping, figure out groups of people, understand them better. The smaller the group, the easier they are to manipulate and then they do this all the time. The FBI, you find out like in the Whitmer case, there's like 98% of the people arrested in that case once it all came to fruition were just FBI people. And it's like, so all of them were FBI just to frame like three people? Like what's going on here? So they do that where they'll go foment problems. And so what they might be doing is before the global globalism thing ever comes to fruition, right before that where you think that's going to be the big battle, they'll actually create bigger problems in different places. Think Black Lives Matter, think Proud Boys on like a way bigger level where like, uh uh-oh, really the ones who freak out are the people reacting to the globalism and they've been infiltrated and 
propagandized to such an extent that they begin the violence. They begin to become the thing that you're actually more afraid of. And they start making headway and they start mm. making progress. And you go, wait, 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 wait. Actually, you know what? Fuck, we do need to stop these crazy people because I thought I was on their team and I just realized I'm not on their team. And now I don't have a team and the only team available is just globalism. Yeah, I think that's my problem with the whole narrative. It's like, I guess... It's it's the most abstract narrative that you could come up with, like because nothing is more abstract than climate. It's like the environment. It's like just saying everything. Like it is the meta narrative. Yeah. And so then, carbon. Literally, they go with carbon. They're like, you know, the stuff that everything is carbon. That's the problem. Right. It's like wait. And then yeah, I guess I just get confused because I'm like, I you can't wrap a meta narrative around that. Like in the way that scientists will be like, you can't sum up like certain trends like things are individual and unique and like we can't really talk about it in this like generalizing way and really be accurate in any specific instance and that's how i feel about climate i mean it's they literally say this in climate science you know they're like we can predict the climate but we can't predict the weather and it's like we you know and i think probably the opposite is true it's like you can be accurate in a specific sense but you can't be accurate in a general sense i think that's a general principle like most of the time you can when you generalize, you tend to be less accurate and less precise about things than when you're talking about a specific case. And that's, I think, the problem with these narratives. And I'm like, well, well they're always going to have sense holes because mathematically, of Well, mathematically, they could be right a little bit. You know, like you think sure. about that. You they're know, not going it, it yeah. It's harder to figure out what you're thinking, but it's easier to th- figure out what, like the the milieu of like a group maybe because of the, you know, a bell curve. Now I get these because I went to UGA. I get these magazines they send, you know, and uh, they're kind of a pretty big agriculture school. And there's like a ton of counties now in this state. It's like a new phenomenon. We can now grow citrus, which is like crazy. They claim all these like catastrophes with like agriculture and stuff. It's like it's is it a catastrophe if like you can't grow cabbage in Georgia anymore, but now you can grow orchards of citrus trees you know what i mean like those are caused that cause is exact is identical according to the science it's climate it's it's global warming so it's like what's the calculus there is that a net loss i don't another thing about your meta-narrative kind of analysis does make me sometimes i think this and i've heard people talk about this that like there is some kind of uh like a natural evolution like a almost a destiny to the world like there's different okay so a little is more like natural evolution of stuff going somewhere mm. whereas i've heard other people say you know like there's you know even like on a spiritual level some people think that like you know kind of the we fight not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and right. you know mystical dark places you know like we don't we actually can't we don't even know what's happening here like this could be hell or this could be a just the world could be a battlefield and it's just you know, psychological, spiritual, good and evil forces trying to, you know, Star Wars vibes, bring balance to the force, which, by the way, balance to the force means they kill all the bad guys and there's only good guys. So maybe that is the balance that we, you know what I mean? And we're just always going that direction. And in the meantime, before every big event is like the Empire almost wins, like all the time, you know? I mean, I don't, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and that you can hardly do anything about it and that we're just moving somewhere yes. and you have and i don't i don't know what it is that you hold on to as a human and maybe it, it again like it's just that kind of personal light within knowing what's truly important and 
and you just and you are a little sphere of influence and like that's it because you you're not going to move the world the world is moving and people with more power move can do bigger things and but who knows where that ends up going i mean yeah well who knows what the yeah grand destination is i think yeah, I'm very receptive to that kind of stuff. I think, yeah, it's like you think you're battling the waves when really you're battling the current, and the current is... Or the ocean. Right, you don't you know... You realize you can't actually battle the ocean. Right, the current <laughs> is beyond your capabilities to deal with, and you don't even know where it comes from, or... Uh, yeah. Well, we do that. That could be what climate... Even just the climate change approach, like, oh, God, it's getting warm. Well, let's spray shit in the sky. Well, there you go, spray shit in the sky, and you end up with Snowpiercer. Right. Well, that's you know, like yes. you don't even we don't even we you can't because you can't actually because even they you know big T they can't even manipulate reality like they wish they could you know you you can't hardly do anything without the ripple well of yeah other events you caught yeah you just change the problem you know you change the nature of the situation you don't I don't think there's ever net gains or net losses like that's the conservation of energy that's like fundamental physics it's like you can't create new energy or new matter like it's all just conserved and changes form and so like when you act in the world you just change things you know it doesn't mean that things go away or get better altogether or get worse altogether it just changes and so i think that that's what they were saying which is so interesting is like that there's just a lot of hubris i think that Regardless of what you think is happening, hubris. you know that there's hubris with people like elites and governments who think that they can solve the world's problems. And he's like, and this, it's really not a far leap to think that this would be an exception. He's like, we know that they have climate, you know, weather modification technology. And he's like, you know, RFK says, he's like, you know for a fact that every technology like this, he's like, it's weaponized by the government because they, if it can be weaponized, it is. And he's like, so you know they're doing something. He's like, now the extent of what they're doing and what exactly they're doing with it, he's like, you don't know. But he's like, this was the thing I ran into it with the vaccines with Bill Gates. And he was like, I, you know, had these concerns about the adjuvants in the va- some of the vaccines, which was uh, they would put things like aluminum and mercury in the vaccines. He's like, we knew, we know these things are toxic to human beings. And he's like, and you do get an immune response from doing that. But he's like, but the question that no one could answer, like Bill Gates or these people who were developing the vaccines, was what happens to the mercury or the aluminum after the immune response? Once you've injected it in these people, where does it go? How long does it stay in the body? What are the effects of this? And he was like, and it was just downstream effects that these people didn't think about and didn't have answers for. And that's a very, I feel like, not conspiracy theory. Like, it's so believable to me that someone could just think, we got a problem, we got disease, we got to make these vaccines to solve them, and we got to get the immune response, and then we put these things in here and, like, ship it out, and then don't even worry about it. You know, you don't even get to the point where you're even thinking about, well, wait, how long does that aluminum stay in there? What are the effects? Do we really know? Have we ever really studied what would happen if we injected aluminum into people? And, you know, just let it be there. And so I think that that's the kind of stuff that they were both worried about with all this, you know, technology. It could be the compartmentalization, though, too. Like, I think, you know, I could also believe the naive version of like that. And maybe people do know, you know, that there are people I can believe both that like there are people who do know and should know better and like oversaw things that they kind of turned a blind eye. No, of course. But that's you could say that. Now, you can only say that in the beginning, but now, a hundred years later, I just feel like you can't say it anymore because it's like, if it's like, imagine you. 
Oh, no, I mean, okay, wait, let me clarify. Because I mean, I just mean like the the people like Bill Gates and whatnot, the people who are controlling all this stuff know, like they should know better, and the head scientists and whatnot. I'm saying the people who actually like work on this stuff like day to day, like if you're a virologist or whatever, like do you really understand the like toxicity of aluminum in the human body? Like I can I can imagine that you actually Only wouldn't if you're good. know about that. Well, the hundred employees that work under the virologist who are just lab technicians who just like write down shit on a computer that they observe on the logs of right. the incubators. You know, like they don't know what's exactly. going on. Just yeah. like your doctors completely, like they just don't. Most of them literally suck. Like my doctor, I'm just telling you, he sucks. Like the one before him also kind of sucked. I can like them. Because they like don't hassle me about stuff when I tell right, them I don't right. take that vaccine, they go okay, and that's nice. But ultimately, I know that they're dumb. Like they don't know stuff that they should know. If you really wanted a top level doctor, like mo the whole law of averages that we we're just talking about, bell curves, is that most of your doctors, in like a non conspiratorial, regular old world, are gonna they're going to suck based on basic math like they're just not going to be the elites the elites are <laughs> they're going to be average on the tail end yeah they're going to be basically average which means they're going to be missing about half of what they should have if you wanted an elite doctor here's a little anecdote kim's little kim's sister has a baby baby was in florida they're on vacation baby wakes up can't breathe go to the doctor epinephrine couple breathing treatments baby's fine they also go ahead and test for COVID. Now, me being a full-blown genius, apparently, sadly, sadly, I fall way right of the curve. Oh uh, <laughs> that says bad things about our society. I immediately go, why, what, why, what would that, what would that tell you? Oh, she tested positive for COVID. So like, good thing they tested. I'm like, what? Like, so therefore... What then? There's a, they give you the anti-COVID pill? No. No, there's no pill for that. You forget to test for COVID. What do you do differently now that you've tested for COVID? Anything? No, nothing. So what is it? I did, well, we just charge you for the test. It's such a scam. And no, the fact is, is it possible? So either there's only two just options here. The doctor's dumb, literally just like, well, we wanted to know. Well, okay. Or they're on the take. Like they know that they're, there's getting some benefit from this. But so you, that's sad because it's like, okay, dumb or corrupt. Like it's so crazy because there isn't an, a third option because there isn't a COVID cure. And so I go, so it's a whole well, group think, of dum-dums. Yeah. Whatever that is, I feel like that's kind of, it's like hopeful in a way because it's like, that's so simple. Like all you have to do is like, kind of snap out of it a little bit and then and then you don't yes. have to worry about changing the world you could just like be free from the your own kind of shackles in your mind being a slave to like the shadows on the wall or something you know where you're yeah my point is just that i think it's both i think you can have like i think actually the majority of it is like dumb like what you were saying dumb dumbs i i it could just be naivete or ignorance yes it takes advantage of your trusting nature so you don't have the capacity for the information. I think partly you operate that way. Like you, that's what a high trust society is. It's like, well, I offload a lot of my responsibilities to other people and I 
in a high trust society, that's fine. You know, where you live around people that you can trust to like do that with. Like, I'm going to, this person's going to take care of this. I don't have to worry about it. I'm not going to think about it because that would be redundant. Elul considers, there's, he has like four, he's got like a couple lists. And like one of them is like one of, you have to have these four basic I can't remember if he considers these to be myths or assumptions. He has different lists, like one's myths, one's assumptions, whatever. But one of the very, very, very basic kind of broadest things that are required and that are in almost all people, there's these like few, very few baked in assumptions that propaganda can recognize and hitch onto. And one of those is this, which I found to be interesting, this kind of subconscious fundamental idea that people have that people are basically mm. good and that propaganda can recognize that because it is definitely true. It's like so basic that you don't have to wonder, you don't well, have to try too true. hard. Yeah. You can build from there. Okay. Yeah. And it may yeah. be actually true, but either way it, on aggregate, it might be, but, and, but either way that he even, he even sees that as like, there's this fundamental current of people are basically good. And so, you can do a lot with just that assumption. You can really fuck with people just on just having recognizing we all have this assumption. I can formulate my arguments to you. I don't have to say people are good. Mm. I could just what I say can be informed by that. You'll kind of get you'll you you and I will get on the same page because you can hear like Obama. You know, like we can hope and change and we can move to get like all of that is based on this fund of mm. these fundamentals that he will see is like that progress is inevitable and good and that humans are basically good and that that's all of those messages fundamentally ride on these assumptions even when they're not explicitly said oh. but they're used in like expert fashion so that's why i'm saying the book is so deep it's like oh my god does the propagandist modern day ones actually know this like i did they read this <laughs> shit because i don't even know if it has to be intentional i think that that just like, I don't have to think about that to try to sell something to someone. Right. You know what I mean? Like, trust me, I worked really hard on this. You know what I mean? Like, this is handmade. I did a great, you know, you, I, you know, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm a good person. Trust me. I wouldn't lie to you. You know, you don't have to say that. You just, you're just telling the story and it's under, in the unconscious is this understanding that like, I'm basically probably good. You're basically probably good. We're just trying to make a deal. This is good for you. It's progress. It's technology. Whatever this thing is, I'm selling. You know, there's all these fundamentals. You don't have to be aware of them. But if once you embark on the journey of trying to get people to believe you or change your mind or get them to behave a certain way, you're going to tap into these things, even if you don't even know about it. That's that's the Elul. That's what I find so curious about Elul is that he is able to abstract it so far back. You go, is there really anyone in control here? Or is it just all technique? Well, yeah, because I was going to say it's... It's just too many It's a little bit like you don't have the capacity to deal with snakes or narcissists or whatever if you... Because I think we do operate under that premise. You know, there are certain true things like most people are good, but not all people. You know, like never uh, never use a always or a, or a never because there's always exceptions. And there are people who will take advantage of you. Yeah, he doesn't say they're good or bad. He 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 does point out the propagandist. So I find I think that if he, there's a bad guy, he really doesn't like the pro, he doesn't like the guy whose job it is is to do propaganda and knows it. You know, like I'm here, we have policy we need to get through, and I am the guy that's here to 
tell a story to the people to make them do what you want. He's like, he didn't say it, but it's he's kind of like, but that guy there, he's a piece of shit. Like, he no, knows what he's that's doing. just wrong. And yeah, the manipulation of the world stage, whatever, who knows? I mean, I still back to the other point you made. It's like, I, I do kind of think the world is faded in some way. Like, I think there are trends that are like inescapable. And I mean, people talk about it that way where it's like, well, of course, like we're always going to have progress. Of course, technology is going to get better and better and better. And I'm like, I understand that. Like, I don't think it has to be true in that literal of a sense. Like, of course, the techno- like we have to have new phones that are going to like be see-through and like connect to your mind. Like that was always going to happen specifically. But I think that kind of like progress in some direction is inevitable and that we would continue down a trajectory because of that, like the the fundamental dynamics at play. Like if you set up a society in a, the way that we have where it's very contingent on things, it creates problems and dependencies that need to be maintained in order to maintain the order that the society originally was created to produce. And so I think what happens is that you end up going further and further down a trajectory so that you can yeah, keep uh, things normal and stable and whatnot. And so, yeah, obviously we would go down a trajectory like technology or whatever, and then the problems that technology creates or whatnot, we have to solve with more technology and whatnot. And so that's how I think those things happen. And obviously there's some sort of natural flow to those things. There's a directionality there that's like inescapable to me. And Mr. A has left the studio, so maybe he'll be back. Maybe he won't. That might be the end. Who knows? Okay, my browser crashed. The last thing you said was farther down a trajectory so that you can keep... Anyway, yeah, I I continued my thought on (laughs) my local recording, and then I was like, and Mr. A's gone. Anyway, though, um, yeah, I was just saying that it's easy to so wh- whether or not we go to a specific point in society, I don't. I'm not that kind of fatalist, but I do think there's a directionality to things and like an inevitability of heading in a direction or whatever. Like it's inevitable, seemingly to me, that we would go in a direction like progress would happen, and then because of the progress or like the kinds of contingencies you create in a society to have progress, that those contingencies need to be maintained, and then the kinds of solutions you seek to create to maintain those uh, societies and then solve those problems are very similar to the ones that you have. So, like, we use technology to solve the problems that technology creates for us, and so it's very a positive feedback loop in that sense, and that part of it seems, like, inevitable to me. Like, you know, like you've said that before, like, the kinds of solutions we really need, you know, like, we're never going to go back to airports without security, you know, everywhere. And, you know, it's like we're in the positive feedback loop where it's like, what is it going to look like in the future? Maybe, you know, like we're only getting more and more safe and secure and like passports and vaccine passports and digital health identities and cryptocurrencies. And we'll know everything about you before you even do it. And so that kind of stuff seems like inevitable to me. And I, I think you can be accurate in like predicting that stuff in the aggregate, um, but I don't know about. Like, I think you can still have agency 
I guess that's my claim is that you could still have agency on the local level in your personal life and yet still be unable to affect the trajectory in some, you know, abstract level of like all of humanity. I don't know. How far do your decisions cascade up? You know, how much of an impact do you really have? Are you way more responsible and impactful than you think or are you not? Does it depend well, we may be creating a world where you need people. They need people less and less, you know. You can replace a lot of us with automation or Klaus Schwab just said that, like, tried to get people to in the World Economic Forum to imagine really we don't need elections anymore because right. we know the outcome beforehand anyways. He literally said that. So it's like, okay, so what world are you making and who is it for exactly? Like, what are we doing here? But I was going to read, I'll tell you these little lists that Elul has, because I think you'll, they're very young and I, he had to have been highly influenced by like the psychology of his time, which have been, you know, thinking about young and stuff like that. But he says, uh, I'll start here. Action cannot be obtained unless it responds to a group of already established tendencies or attitudes stemming from the schools, the environment, the regime, the churches, and so on. Propaganda is confined to utilizing existing material. It does not create it. This material falls into four categories. First, there is the psychological mechanisms that permit the propaganda to know more or less precisely that the individual will respond in a certain way to a certain stimulus. I'm skipping down. Second, opinions. Conventional patterns and stereotypes exist concretely in a particular milieu or individual. Third, ideologies exist which are more or less consciously shared, accepted, and disseminated, and which form the only intellectual or rather para-intellectual element that must be reckoned with in propaganda. And fourth, the propagandist must concern himself above all with the needs of those he wishes to reach. All propaganda must respond to a need, whether it be concrete, like bread, peace, security, or work, or psychological. Um, so then he says... If we take a population not necessarily of the same race or language or history, but inhabiting the same territory, oppressed by the same conqueror, feeling a common resentment or hatred towards the occupying force, a sentiment generally found at a purely individual level, and in the grip of the enemy administration, only a few individual acts of violence will occur spontaneously and more often nothing at all. But propaganda can take it from there and arouse a nationalism, the foundations of which are perfectly natural, but which, as an integrated force, is entirely fabricated. This is true for Algerian, Yugoslavian, or African nationalism. It was something I think we see a lot. Um, it must, propaganda, must therefore use, utilize the most common feelings, the most widespread ideas, the crudest patterns, and in so doing, place itself in a very low level with regard to what it wants man to do and uh, and to what end? Hate, hunger, and pride make better levers of propaganda than do love or impartiality. Okay, so he says, Propaganda's main task, clearly, is the psychological reflection of these structures. Okay, so then it seems to us that, the reflection, that this reflection is found in two essential forms, the collective sociological presuppositions and the social myth. By presuppositions, we mean a collection of feelings, beliefs, and images by which one unconsciously judges events and things without questioning them or even noticing them. 
Yeah, okay. This collection is shared by all who belong to the same society or group. It draws its strength from the fact that it rests on general Mm -hmm. tacit agreement. It seems to us that there are four great collective sociological presuppositions in the modern world. By this, we mean not only the Western world, but all the world that shares a modern technology and it's structured and is structured into nations, including the communist world, though not yet the African or Asian worlds. The common presuppositions of bourgeois and proletarian are that man's aim in life is happiness, that man is naturally good, that history develops an endless, pro- endless progress, and that everything is matter. Mm. The other great psychological reflection of social reality is the myth. The myth expresses the deep inclinations of society. Without it, the masses would not cling to a certain civilization or its process of development and crisis. It is a vigorous impulse, strongly colored, irrational, and charged with all of man's power to believe. It contains a religious element. In our society, the two great fundamental myths on which all other myths rest are science and history. And based on them are the collective myths that, man's princip- uh, that are man's principal orientations. The, list of, the myth of work, the myth of happiness, uh, which is not the same thing as the presupposition of happiness, the myth of the nation, and the myth of youth, and the myth of the hero. Propaganda is forced to build on these presuppositions and to express these myths, for without them, nobody would listen to it. And so building it must always go in the same direction as society. It can only reinforce society. A propaganda that stresses virtue over happiness and presents man's future as one dominated by austerity and contemplation would have no audience at all. A propaganda that questions progress or work would arouse disdain and reach nobody. It would immediately be branded as an an ideology of the intellectual since most people feel that the serious things are material things because they are related to labor and so on. Interesting. So, well, my thought a second ago was like, well, if it's so, if it has to tap into these like underlying truths or realities or ways people are, then how do you know that it's actually propaganda and not just like organic? Like the nationalism thing, I was like, how do we know that that's actually fabricated? Like that could be a totally natural response to an oppressor class is that a nationalist movement would arise that would seek to overthrow the thing is well, his take that it's just because it's fabricated, it's knowingly fabricated by someone to take advantage of that? I think that you have to read his technological society. Then you have to read propaganda. Then you oh have to God. read the technological society, the technological society again. And then you have to read propaganda again because I think they fold into each other as like a grand unifying theory of like, man's social political trajectory in a kind of a way because the whole thing with technique in the technological society is kind of that thing you're saying like is that it's it's almost like it's unavoidable you know there's so much efficiency in technique you know it's like it you can reduce so much hard labor using technique and having multiple technicians so you know you don't have the one guy build the car you have a hundred guys on an assembly line Mm -hmm. each do a very particular thing 
until there's no longer any expert that really knows, you know, one guy knows about fuel systems and fuel injections. Another guy knows about, and he, maybe he knows about compression, but he might not even be, he doesn't, he doesn't know anything. Sure. He knows a little, but he doesn't, he's not the guy the that knows the stuff about suspension yeah. and about, yeah, what about the material science behind what kind of tires will last longer? The guy doing fuel injection doesn't, is never going to take the time to learn organic chemistry and all the science therein based on, you know, the technological society of technique dictates that those will be fractured off and in their own sphere, completely isolated almost. And come together through yet even more technique of te the technique of, let's say, bringing stuff together into, you know, into its final form, like even that. And then selling that is yet another technique. You know what I mean? It's like it's technique upon technique upon technique to where you almost lose, you almost get to that point where you kind of get that age old thing, of, uh, you know, rebuttal that how could anyone ever be in control of it? So like no one could even know this stuff. It's just you couldn't know it. It's too much. And I think that's where you get the technique of like propaganda and the technique of special interest. You know, all these things break up, come together and break mm, apart. Constantly like he's saying, it's almost to, like a method to where like it does thing that happens. People almost don't even have to be like aware of doing propaganda. It's like propaganda is like another part of the technical society. <laughs> yeah, and they do know though. Like, so he says here. This is I thought this was kind of just oddly interesting. It says the progress of technology is continuous. Propaganda must voice this reality, which is one of man's convictions. All propaganda must play on the fact that the nations will be industrialized. More will be produced. Greater progress is imminent and so on. No propaganda can succeed if it defends outdated production methods or obsolete social and administrative institutions, though occasionally advertising may profitably profitably evoke the good old days political propaganda may not rather it must evoke the future the mm. tomorrow that beckon precisely because such visions impel the individual to act propaganda is carried along this current and cannot oppose it it must confirm it and reinforce it thus propaganda will turn a normal feeling of patriotism into a raging nationalism it not only reflects myths and presuppositions, it hardens them, sharpens them, invests them with the power of shock and action. So there is a technique, you know, but and the technique doesn't, he's kind of saying it doesn't create necessary, and I don't know if I agree with this, but it doesn't create these myths and this undercurrent of stuff. That's almost mm -hmm. like substrate that's there now, how it got yeah. there. Maybe we're not talking about that. But that now that it is there, I can we can just do observation and say when I try to when propaganda tries to do something and it focuses on history rather than tomorrow, it's less effective. It's more effective politically right, always right. to go uh, to go. Let's do better. Let's remember do more. when drinking let's and get, driving was legal. <laughs> you know, you. It's in, it's interesting to me though because I I was thinking about that I'm like it almost is it's like would it be is that. He's not making a value judgment, but I, you know, it makes you wonder. It's like, well, wouldn't it be cool if we could be persuaded by the good old days, you know, so we could actually remember good stuff, like because not everything new is good and better. Like not well, all maybe progress is good. He's missing a fourth turning like element. Maybe it's cyclical. Maybe in different times, different things are motivating to people. I was thinking too. I mean, I could understand what he was saying. Like it's not 
what I meant, like, oh, you don't really have to know that you're doing propaganda. Like, in the way that, like, marketing is, like, propagandistic, like, you don't, like, marketing is, like, a technique that you don't think about, like, oh, I'm propagandizing people. Like, I'm trying to, like, literally change the culture, you know, when you're creating a large-scale brand advertising campaign. You just think, I'm doing marketing at a big company to get money, you know? <laughs> like, I don't think it has to be this, like, meta yeah. like i don't know that people think about it in the meta narrative way yeah even that advertising will like he's saying like it will harden and sharpen those underlying myths and presuppositions it actually it works and right, it reinforces right. because it actually does produce and then people act you know what i mean like it it actually has effect over time he also makes this interesting point about the left in France because he was French. But and now I'm like, is this how it works here now? Because it's very interesting. He says, well, OK, I'll, I'll read this once. And it says it must also reflect local and national idiosyncrasies. Thus, in France, the general trend towards socialization can neither be overridden nor questioned. The political left is respectable. The right has to has to justify itself before the ideology of the left in which the rightist participates all propaganda in france must contain and evoke the principal elements of the ideology of the left in order to be accepted and i think that's because and i think we've become this now too that the left becomes you forget the term left it's just progress we're tapping Pro into that progress. underlying it's progressivism truth of like it's progress of course progress yeah yes so so it ma it makes the dynamic, the weird dynamic that we see between the left and the right and this what appears to be a struggle so stark, which is that the left has already just come out and it's basically made itself into propaganda, like just progress. Everything we do is progress. We're progressives. So no matter what thing we say, it's progress. And then the right, he says, you know, basically has to justify itself. But the irony it has to justify itself within the same myths of progress and all this stuff. So it's this weird thing where the back of the train is serving the interests of the front of the train. You yeah. know, like, well, we have to pr justify ourselves as well, but this what are you going to justify yourself based on? Progress is actually going to need conservative movements. Right. And that's what we say, I feel like, all the time. Hit you with the left stick, yeah. hit you with the right stick. It's always the yeah. same movement. Right. Yes, austerity for progressive for progressive ends. You know, it's like, huh? And right, that's which they it, know they that austerity. I mean, that's that whole book I bought you. I don't know if you've read it yet, but that's her thesis. Is yeah, I'm, so, I'm the gonna... austerity whole idea of it, which is like budget cutting and tax. You know, fiscal conservatism, austerity is like actually a ploy. Her like theory in this book, this academic who wrote it, is like. It's actually a ploy by the capital-owning, land-owning elites to keep the social hierarchy intact. Is that austerity measures are there in order to not disrupt the economic, social, yeah, socioeconomic hierarchy, which is interesting because I think people think austerity is like a good thing. You know, like I think a lot of conservatives latch onto austerity, like small government restraint, because they want to reduce the runaway of elites and the government's size and scope and whatnot. And that she has this counter take, which is like, actually some of those things are used in order to 
appease people like that, but in order to maintain that, like, it's actually, you have to, like, throw the dog a bone sometimes. It's like, this is actually a useful tactic by those in power to keep their power. Yeah, it's why every budget ever (laughs) gets passed. Even though apparently one side is supposed to be really conservative about that and austere, and they they put up a fake fight to appease the people, and then they go... Right, yeah, exactly. Send it up the chain. Go for it. 50 gajillion dollars, that's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Anyway. But, uh, yeah. I was going to say, we used the analogy of the waves in the ocean, and he has one here, a good analogy. It's very deep, I thought. I underlined it, so we'll see. A man will become excited over a new automobile because it is immediate evidence of his deep belief in progress and technology. Between news, Mm. or let's say, call it the new iPhone the new iPhone that has nothing new in it. New camera. It's progress. Uh, Yeah. Between news that can be utilized by propaganda and fundamental currents of society, the same relationship exists between waves and the sea. The waves exist only because the underlying mass supports them. Without it, there would be nothing. But man sees only the waves. They are what attracts, entices, and fascinates him. Through them, he grasps the grandeur and majesty of the sea though his grandeur exists only in the immense mass of water. Similarly, propaganda can have a solid reality and power over man only because of its rapport with fundamental currents, but it has seductive enticement and a capacity to move him only by its ties to the most volatile immediacy and the timely events that a man considers worth retaining, preserving, and disseminating is always an event related to the expression of the myth Myths and presuppositions of a given time and place. Yeah. yeah. Well, it does tap into something deep. I think that's, uh, I mean, even Apple knew that at the beginning. They were like, we're going to, you know, tap into people's want to be seen as, uh, you know, a certain way and whatnot. And I mean, their ads from the beginning were wild. You, you remember seeing those 1984 ads or whatever? Like, some of that mm-hmm. stuff is just like, of course it has that kind of like, like they're not, it's not just like, oh, it's a cool phone. It's like technology. Like I feel like people make it out today. It's like that shit was like, you are changing the world. Like <laughs> we're, the you are going to be a hero. Don't they have a new phone it's coming out that people are saying yeah, is not going to be new? I, they're at all. like sleeping on AI. Yeah. That's the weird. It's like what's going on? Like they they were the first ones to release Siri, and then like now Siri sucks. She's a bitch. She's a stupid ass hoe, and she doesn't know any of your questions answers. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with the AI world. I keep hearing. I've seen people use it. And the people that are using it are like, wow, this stuff is getting good. And it is in certain what, what realms. I think it is getting pretty good as far as the way the users are using it now to create voices. Like you can it's have like voice technique. clones and then you can yeah. like really get the intonations and stuff really good. Yeah. Can you imagine being a weapons co- company where like every technology that ever comes up, if you're a weapons manufacturer, any technology, your whole modus operandi is just to sit there and go now how, what, oh what kind of weapon could you make with this like every no matter what the technology like what kind of weapon though like 
Oh, deep. Fa- that we have a AI language model. Could you? How if could you we feel bad about yourself, just remember and you're not that guy. Unless you are, and you're listening to our podcast, and yeah, well, that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, there's a product manager out there for Raytheon, for Lockheed Martin, and they're sitting there trying to figure out how to turn, uh, you know, every new technology into. How, how can we turn that into a weapon? In the name phones. of defense. How do we make that a weapon? Robotics, safety. listening devices, everything. Yeah. In the name of safety, national security, in the name of all the myths and current underpinnings of your social worldview, yeah, what could we get exactly. away with? Exactly. Yeah. No, who knows the extent of that rabbit hole. I'm sure it's absolutely wild. They're probably weaponizing it all over the world and against us. So who knows? I still haven't showed oh, you the Beatles, God. so we'll <laughs> yeah. do that at some point. We don't have a video component, but there's videos. They have these like little robot Beatles, and I'm like, well, <laughs> it's worse than I thought because oh they're God. just showing me these. Like, If these are real, then there's definitely flea versions of them that I can't even see. So, oh, well. Oh, my it's God. Oh, my God. I mean, bugs almost are simple machines. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a lot of the way that they – like bees, like bees – kind of defy physics supposedly but it's like but there's mechanisms built in to the bee that allows it to flap its wings at that rate with a reduced energy consumption you know what i mean like there's just there's so many like almost like mechanical parts to regular normal actual biological bugs like they're almost mechanical like like a grasshopper jumping it's not just because it has strong muscles like it's like a a reflex, like a snap. There's the snap beetles. You put them on their back and they pop. Oh, like a top yeah. They have like those 20 here in, in Texas. Air. That's not because they have that kind of strength. It's because there's a there's like mechanisms built into those things. And I bet you, you could figure I bet you, you could figure <laughs> that's that right. <laughs> I'm just saying. Get on that. Oh, yeah. Well, if it's not a weapon yet, it will be soon. Anyway. Pat, go, get the something. How can that be weaponized? <laughs> How can I weaponize a thing? It's a real way to make make a million dollars, become a billionaire. Yeah. They turn sticks and stones yeah, into guns. Exactly. So, exactly. All right, I gotta go. This is over. Right.